Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with LifeNet in Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to today's podcast, which is part of the Amazing New Covenant series, which is entitled Justification and Eternal Reality. Jesus came to planet Earth in order to reverse what Adam's rebellion against God's rule set in motion. When Adam fell for Satan's lie in the garden, he set humankind on a destructive sinful trajectory that has produced untold suffering, destruction, and death. To reverse this, several things had to take place. Number one, a new representative head of humanity had to do what Adam failed to accomplish, live a surrendered life of obedience to and dependence on God. This person would be a second Adam, the source of a brand new addition of humanity. Second, someone had to take the punishment for humanity's sin and rebellion against God. Either all humans had to be condemned or a perfect substitute had to take on our collective sin, guilt, condemnation, and sentence of death. Jesus, the Messiah, came first of all to die as God's lamb for the sins of the world. John 1, 29. Three, the authority given to mankind by God, which Adam ceded to Satan by obeying him rather than the Creator, had to be recaptured so that God's effective rule over the planet and its people could be regained and retained by a new Lord, Jesus, the Messianic King. Four, In order to prevent a repeat of Adam's failure, a new covenant had to be established that would guarantee that humanity would live a surrendered, dependent, and victorious life in partnership with God's Spirit. When Jesus died on the cross at Calvary and subsequently rose from the dead, he accomplished all these things. This article will focus on justification. Justification means that Jesus put us who believe into a right relationship with his heavenly father from whom we had been alienated by sin. It means that those of us who put our faith and allegiance in Christ are forgiven and declared not guilty in the court of heaven. It means that God sees us as if we had never sinned. It means that in God's eyes, it is as if we had already completed lives of perfect devotion and surrender to him in the face of every sort of adversity, temptation, and test, just as is true of our Lord 
Jesus. Justification means that Christ's perfect right standing with God, which he earned at the cost of his life, has been given to us as a free gift. When those who put their faith and allegiance in Christ one day stand before his judgment seat, we will be declared not guilty based on our identification with the risen Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. This is what it means to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Christ accomplished our justification by taking our place upon the cross. Since the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, we deserve to die because of our sin. But Jesus volunteered to take our sin upon himself, even though he was completely without guilt. He fulfilled the meaning of the Passover feast by offering his innocent blood on our behalf as God's lamb, so that God's judgment would pass over us, just as happened to the Israelites so long ago before their historic exodus from Egypt. According to the Bible, Jesus so identified himself with us that he actually became sin. In exchange, he gave us his perfect righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He paid the complete penalty for our sin and disobedience toward God and others. Amazingly, his payment, which was made on a particular day in Israel some 2,000 years ago, still reverberates in the universe and continues to impact people backward and forward in time. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 explains this. And I will cover this passage a little later, so I will not read it now. You may wish to read it on your own. Jesus' death on the cross was an eternal sacrifice accomplished in historical time. That's worth thinking about. Jesus' death on the cross was an eternal sacrifice accomplished in historical time. Now I'm going to read Revelations 13.8 in two different versions both of which are reliable translations, so that we can consider the implications. The first is from the NIV. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. The second version is the New American Standard Bible, and it reads, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Obviously, the above verse poses a challenge for translators. Is the eternal aspect 
to be assigned to our being written in the book of life or to the crucifixion of our Lord or to both. I say both. Let me explain. We know from Ephesians that God chose the elect, his special people. This is a Bible term, not my own. He chose them from before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 clearly states this. This is another way to say that the elect were written in God's book of life before the creation of the world. Therefore, the NASB, New American Standard Bible translation, fits with Ephesians 1.4 and should be accepted as a valid way to translate the verse. But let me remind you that even though God chose his special people before the creation, we must encounter, we must each encounter God in our time-space dimensional world. God's sovereign choice must interface with our responsibility to choose. There is a mystery in how we cooperate with God's Spirit in the entire process. God's eternal choice impacts us when it becomes part of our personal history through our participation in the process. The eternal must be, quote, fleshed out, end of quote, in our lives. What is eternally true must become experientially true or it is not yet historically real. But how about the NIV translation in the above verse? Could it be correct too? We know from scripture that Jesus died according to the predetermined plan of God, Acts 2.23. God who dwells in the eternal now, the eternal now, which encompasses our past, present, and future, saw his son crucified from all eternity. The plan for him to die on a given day in the history of the earth was a preset, predetermined, foreordained, and certain plan. It was so sure from God's eternal perspective that it was considered to be done even before it took place in history. This is why King David, who was a prophet, could write about the crucifixion as if he were experiencing it for himself hundreds of years before it ever happened. That is why the prophet Isaiah could write about Christ's coming crucifixion using the past tense in Isaiah 53. From God's eternal perspective, the eternal now, something in our historical future, was already done. This is why I contend that Christ was indeed slain before the foundation of the world, even though he was also put to death on a specific historical day. Once again, eternal truth must be fleshed out in human history or in order for it to become part of our reality in the time-space dimension which God created for us to inhabit
Now I want to shift gears. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 reads, Every priest standing stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time forward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Think about this amazing fact. When Jesus died and rose some 2,000 years ago, the benefits of his sacrifice went backward and forward in time. It provided forgiveness and reconciliation for those who trusted in God before Christ and provides the same for all who would come after. In other words, God forgave past, present, and future sins by Christ's one sacrifice. King David was forgiven for his adultery and the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Both sins were punishable by death, yet God freely forgave David. How could a just God do that? When the woman caught in adultery was dragged before Jesus in John chapter 8, he forgave her outright for a sin that was punishable by stoning under the law of Moses. How could a just God do that? The answer is that Jesus' looming sacrifice was already considered to be in effect. Jesus was making draws from a future deposit, which, from God's eternal perspective, had already been accomplished. It is fair then to say that the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection are not time-bound they are eternal, complete, and finished. Likewise, our eternal glorification is also a done deal from God's eternal perspective. Not only is our justification an eternal timeless truth, so is our glorification. This is something that should blow our minds if we are honest about it. Paul taught, that our glorification is inexorably linked to our justification. Anyone reading Paul's letter to the church in Rome would believe that their justification was already accomplished through a past event, Christ's death and subsequent resurrection. Astoundingly, Paul used the same aorist past tense to describe what for them and us is still historically in the future. Our glorification at the resurrection of our bodies. And so let me read the passage to which I refer in Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, past tense, he also predestined, past tense, to be conformed, an ongoing process, 
to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, past tense, he also called, past tense, and these whom he called, he also justified, once for all, past tense, and these whom he justified, he also glorified, once for all, aorist, past tense. Our threefold salvation is included in this passage, justification, transformation, which is being conformed to Christ's image, and glorification. Election, God's choosing us. Justification, God's declaring us righteous in his eyes. Transformation, God's conforming us to Christ's image in our everyday life. And glorification, God's giving us a new resurrection body are all described using the Greek aorist past tense, which lets us know that each of these was a once-for-all completed past event in God's eyes and in truth. Think about this. God sees you already in heaven with a new resurrection body. How? Can this be? Obviously, this is not true yet in my his present historical context here on planet Earth. But it is true in the eternal realm of God's spirit. However, the eternal must become my actual experience at some point or it is not real for me yet. One day, Christ will raise me and you, if you're a believer, from the dead and we will receive a new spiritual body. At that point in time, the eternal truth of our glorification will be fulfilled historically and become my experiential reality. Until that point, God expects us to believe what the Bible teaches us and rest in Christ's finished work as we allow the Spirit to help us Work out what he has put within us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Conclusion. God cannot be thwarted. His plans will come to pass. His words will be fulfilled. He calls that which does not yet exist in our time-space dimension as already existing because to him it does. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made you, talking about Abraham, the father of many nations. He is our father in the presence of God whom he believed, the God who makes the dead alive and sums things that do not yet exist as though they already do. But God's eternal perspective is not ours. We still live in a time-space restricted world. We must learn to navigate the historical present on the basis of eternal truths. 
I hope that most readers who have professed faith and allegiance in Christ will have no difficulty believing that Christ accomplished our justification on the cross once for all, and that our righteous standing before God depends wholly on that glorious truth. I also think that most followers of Christ believe that Jesus certainly will raise us from the dead on the last day. However, not so many understand how to navigate the here and now process of sanctification transformation by faith and grace in the fear of the Lord and in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. How do we live in the present from an eternal perspective? How can we use the knowledge of our past justification and future glorification to motivate us to live for Christ right now? How can we use the guardrails of grace and responsibility to keep us from going off the cliff into legalism or licentiousness? That will be the subject of my next article. Stay tuned.